Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. I hope you'll join us in reaching new heights in Jesus. Here we go. Oh, I would rather that time miss all our teenagers. So yeah, that's thanks for putting those lyrics up there for us. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, we appreciate that. That was <clears throat> make us feel inferior. Um, but okay, so praise God. I'm in the right place. How about you? All right, we come to praise the Lord, and I hope you're from His Word and grow a little bit. We have some folks who are missing. We have some sick folks and whatever, and so we just lift them up in prayer and let the Lord work in each one of us. I know that at least one family I think is still all the way here. So you know, sometimes it's tough and things happen. And then you just adjust. That's what you gotta do. Um, people do bizarre things that we used to think would be just like, why would you do that? Like, uh, get a sandwich in the drive thru, it takes 25 minutes sometimes. You know? So, um, fast food isn't like what it used to be, things like that. So, uh, hopefully, uh, things are, yeah, I hope things are adjusting. Uh, effect, I will tell you this right now, uh, effectively, uh, the beginning of June, 
the mask mandate goes away, and so we will. We have not really required masks anyway. We've allowed you, if you've been to that interference of worship or anything like that. So I'm just going to say, just like with, I'm going to just join the crowd. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to say effective immediately. We don't have to wear masks if we don't want to. At any time in the building, at any time. Okay? And then effective, I, know that, I don't think the governor's going to call me about the next few days, so it's going to be okay. All right? So <laughs> praise God, that's coming to an end, but at the same time, let's be responsible. And if you're sick, don't shed your sickness to anyone else, right? You keep it to yourself. All right. And then, um, as I said, we do have a couple of folks who are sick. Nobody's got COVID, praise God. Um, but we have a couple of folks who are sick and some travelers, so we'll pray for them. And some I don't know what's going on. So, all right. Good day yesterday. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those who came to work hard. That is what we do. We chose on our anniversary, which was yesterday, five years constituted, to um, serve others rather than to serve ourselves. I thought that was cool, and we enjoyed it. And it was harking back to a day some time ago where we used to do that more frequently, block parties specifically. We still serve in a lot of ways, don't get me wrong, but every week, in fact. But maybe uh, I kind of missed that, the block party thing, and serving snow cones and cotton candy and popcorn like that. And the kids sure liked it, and so it was good. Uh, had a number of decisions yesterday, um, probably three or four, and um, one first-time decision for Christ, which was cool. And so that's it. Right? And um, God is always on the move, and we're grateful for that. You see it on the screen up there? Every Tuesday in June. So a lot of times we do vacation Bible school, and you like block out a whole week of your life and like that. And so instead, we're doing vacation Bible school every Tuesday in June. So 6 to 8, uh, dinner served at 6 for all the workers and all those who are attending vacation Bible school. So it's not a community meal, per se. Not that we would turn anybody away that's hungry. But it is the workers and everybody attending Bible school. And so uh, that's it's pretty cool material. Good stuff coming up. You'll hear more about it. It is coming back. It's literally right around the corner. Um, all right? And so if you want to volunteer or help in that and you have not already signed up to teach or signed up to work or got a spot, see Alicia. Okay? Uh, maybe Aaron. Maybe see That will be one of my work. Okay? All right. So we're going to pray together and then we'll jump back and worship God a little bit more. And... Yes, there is a membership meeting today, but there's nothing on the agenda except for... One thing. There is one thing. VBS is on the agenda? Okay, so we will have a brief membership meeting. So our membership meeting uh, replaces business meeting. We don't do that, but this is things that pertain to all people who are members or want to be members or interested in what the membership decides. But we have one motion, and then any membership issues for anybody joining, leaving, doing accountability, that kind of thing. That's it. So it won't take long at all, but it is today. Okay, after service, after about a four-minute break or something like that. Okay. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are our God. You are creator God. You are power beyond our imagining. You are personality lasting eternally from before anything. And if there was going to be... A, a definite end, you would be here after everything. But there isn't, because it's made is good. You love us. You shed your grace upon mankind, and that you sent your Son, and that you sent your Holy Spirit. We are blessed. We are favored among men, because there are many in this room who have recognized who you are and what you've done to retrieve us, to redeem us, to save us from ourselves, from sin and the effects thereof, 
from death. Lord, you're an awesome God, a powerful God, a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God. Only a fool would not adore you. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you, we have our weaknesses, we have been weak, we have sinned against you, we've made wrong decisions, we followed mistaken paths, put our feet in places where they never should have gone. Most of us, figuratively, not literally, but we have shed the blood of innocence. We need your forgiveness every day. And thank you for making it available through Jesus. Thank you for giving us this place. We realize that everything around us has been given out of the generosity of someone's heart, but even before that, by you. And we are grateful. Thank you for watching over. Thank you for giving us a good day yesterday. Thank you for seeing us through the worst, so far as we know the worst, period of time of this COVID pandemic. Lord, we ask you to bless our missing members, bless those who are sick and hurting. Some of it may pertain to the fact that they spent the day in the sun yesterday. You know, we at least had somebody who uh, has asthma who's had difficulty breathing this morning, and it's allergies, and it's sun, and it's changing weather. And Lord, we just ask you to bless them and strengthen them. Lift us all up, God. We are down here, and we know that even though you are amongst us in our, in, in our presence, our hopes are there. We dream of the day when we will be eternally with you. And we are grateful that that day began when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you've given us an abundant life to live for you. We pray that the days will be long and filled with service for you. We pray the kingdom advance. And let's start that right now, Lord, as we worship you. Help us worship you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's messed up, but Jesus is coming to fix it all. Red!
All right, we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves, how, what have you seen? What have you heard? What's the Lord been saying to you? I hope you've been reading your Bible. I hope you've been praying, listening as you go. God speaks to us through all creation, speaks to us through all circumstances. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you may have the conviction and the leading to understand the teachings of Jesus. And so, have you seen something this week that you'd like to share? Jason first. Oh well. 
if you are living the life God has for you to live, then it does not matter what anyone else says about it. As long as you know your heart is with God and your your work is lined up with that, then it does not matter what anyone anyone says. It doesn't matter what your spouse says, your friends say, your family says. It does not matter what they say as long as you know where your heart is and where your mind is. And if that is on God, then you run with that. It's interesting. You bring up the mind. I mean, there's a whole bunch you could study on that. Some would say the mind is a weapon. I think scripture kind of indicates it's a battlefield, you know. Uh, but I think a mind in line with a regenerate heart is a very powerful tool. Um, and of course, we are. You know, we, we, I'm going to be very short on this, but we basically learn His will and test and approve His will by the renewing of our mind. And so, as our, like you said, if our mind is in line with our regenerate heart, then you can kind of know what you're supposed to do and what God would want and that kind of thing. Um, and man. How easily it is manipulated. I was when we were uh, coming back from Tennessee. I kind of forgot about this until we were just talking. Uh, we were talking about how when you get on the expressway and you drive at high speed for a while, you get a thing called hyperbia, which is basically you get hypnotized. And so you get used to dealing with things at 65, 75 mile per hour, and then you go to get off the expressway and you go to driving at 25, and you find yourself doing 40 but feeling like it's 25 because your mind gets hypnotized, tricked essentially. Just seeing the same things over and over again. When I was at Radio Shack years ago, uh, I had a boss, and he always would like, very regularly, almost every day, I saw him clean out his ears with his key, his car key. The habit some people get to get car key and go like this and clean out their ears. Or he would just flick his ear a little like this and clean out his ear. And I always thought it was kind of weird. You know, I'm mean, like, I, I would never do that, clean out my, I always thought it was a little weird. You know, not that somebody else couldn't do it. I didn't care if he did it, but I'm like, I would never do that. Well, then he eventually got fired from Radio Shack, and the day he got fired, I was doing the deposit and doing a ticket to the bank, and I caught myself doing that. <laughs> and, it's like, and I hadn't even thought about it. So you're right, the mind is malleable and affected by the world around us and our senses and our desires, lust of flesh, uh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? And so uh, we, have to, we do have to work, do the effort, you know, uh, undergo the effort to get it in touch with our regenerated heart. The heart that has been saved by God, born new and fresh, and then when your mind is connected like that, then you can have you win the battle. You know, so I'm with you. Uh, but is it the greatest weapon, or is it actually the battlefield? It kind of depends on your point of view, I suppose. All right, who else has got a thought? Anybody? Someone? Okay. So this is a maybe everybody can see this video, but I'll just I gotta watch it before I try to see it, but. Um, <laughs> This is a Casting Crowns, it was a song called Slow Fade, came out like 99, 2000, really good song. I was thinking about like, you know, and it, it, there's some conviction, there's some warning here, but I also thought there should be opposite side of this to encourage you, like, what happens if you don't do those things? So, maybe next, next week I'll like do a rendition to it, because it's, these songs basically are always like, don't do this, don't do that, but when you don't do that, this is what happens, so this is so like should be a flip to the corner. There's always heads in the face. It says, "Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's a second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to pop. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble today." 
And then be careful little ears what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful little lips what you say. For empty words and promises leave broken hearts astray. Same thing, when black and white turns to gray, thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid. And then uh, the journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than you're thinking. Be careful if you think you stand, quite, you just might be sinking. Hmm. And then uh, there's a part where we all you know the original song, Be careful about what you see, be careful about what you see, for the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful about what you see. And um, like I was, uh, it's really a slow thing. It's not something, sometimes people, you know, they just jump on it, but it's, it's slow. You know, it's, it's change a little attitude, change a little character, a little compromise here. But like I said, there's also the other route. There's a slow victory, you would say. I don't know, I'm trying to get what I call it. It's not a fade, but when you're doing what's right, when you're turning, the, uh, turning your cheek, you turn it to the Lord. And then you get to see um, the other way. So, like, I don't want everybody, to, you know, for me as well, just to think, oh, I'm slowly fading. It doesn't matter to slowly fade. Slowly do the right thing. Slowly encourage someone. Slowly pray. Slowly ask God for direction. You know, and it picks up, and it picks up more. You know, our flesh is, like, all the time is, you know, crying out. It's like, well, you got to fix this, you got to do this, you got to do that. And sometimes it's, you know, to just do what's right. You, you, you know, uh, keep yourself busy to the Lord. Um, do what the Lord says. And uh, you'll get the chance, man, we are just talking about Gideon, Gideon's one of my favorites, but just looking at him making slow steps in the right direction and watch what he became. And slowly fade away and what he become. So, just something to think about. It is a slow fade, but there's also slowly doing the right thing. Progressive revelation, sanctification, uh, growing to be more holy. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I think, I wonder sometimes if that is the same thing. Like, so, that slow fade that Psalm's talking about, if you instead decide in those cases to do the right thing, it could be a small choice, right? It could be a very small thing that you're trying and go, ah, well, it's no big deal, I'm just going to let that happen. But that's a slow fade down the wrong way. But if you go, oh, well, you know, this could matter. This could be important to God. And you do it the right way, then you get exactly got that slow ascent or that slow growth that you're talking about. That's good stuff. Every day is composed of thousands of choices. You know, and each one of those choices is valuable to God. You're given free will and not meant to waste it. It's a good word. Okay, so we're going to pray. Uh, Tithes and offerings. A couple more songs. Kids are getting ready to go to their lesson. We're going to go to the Word. I'm kind of excited about the Word today. I'm going to ask my son, Arden. Arden, would you kindly pray for us today as we transition? Let me do highs and offerings. Thank you. 
Alright, so we are looking a little short-staffed up here this morning, um, and I think both of us are struggling a little. So would you stand with us and sing with us on this next couple songs?
just a second here, we're going to do a little object lesson. So you can think to yourself, would you like to volunteer for the object lesson? While I get to the right page here. Okay, there we go. I put my bookmark in the wrong spot. That happens. All right. I have a balloon here. As you can see, this balloon was blown up some time ago. This balloon had great potential, tried to play with a lot. Loved by small children, who knows, in the games closet. Um, it's pretty stretchy now, so it survives pretty well. You can step on it with your foot, and it won't break unless you have to have something embedded in the bottom of your shoe. In that way, this balloon is a little bit like marker. Through difficult times, you may flex it, stretch it, mess with it. It may survive pretty well. Um, there's been a lot of movies over the years made about hope as a driving force. However, there is something that dashes hope. So, do I have a volunteer? Someone like to come up once? All right, Aaron, come on up here. Okay, you know what this is? Um, yes. Okay. So, if you open the knife, how far away? Yes. Alright? And I would like you to do away with hope. Don't do away with me, just hope. Okay? Now, thank you very much. No hope now. All hope is lost. Alright, so now today's sermon is going to be about determining scripturally what this is. Okay? So that's the object lesson. We're going to talk about what is it that really dashes or puts an end to hope. If you're a a poet or a literary person, or you like to read, you may remember a phrase, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Anybody recognize that phrase? Anybody in the room? Yes, it is the beginning. It's not actually the beginning. It's the beginning of Dante's experience with hell, right? It's actually like the third, whatever they call that in Latin, third stanza, we would call it stanza section, but it's third section, but it's when he's arriving at hell, and they see the sign there, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Dante wrote a poem called Inferno. The poem is not called Dante's Inferno. The poem is just called Inferno. And Dante wrote it. And so it's Dante's Inferno. He wrote it in the 14th century. And basically, he is guided on a tour through the nine levels of hell. It's also, they say, an allegory for life and the way we kind of push through all of the bad experiences of life, if you will, to eventually arrive at salvation or recognition of who God is. This sign is posted right at the entrance Okay, and then in the kind of vestibule, if you will, or like the the entryway of hell, there is a group of people, and when they see the sign, they hear the screams of the uncommitted. Okay, of the uncommitted. Now, this is a little graphic. We don't have any little children here. Uh, Zoe won't know what we're talking about. Um, basically, they see the uncommitted on wings, flitting about, flying in this area of. It's pre-hell, if you will. It's before you go into actual levels of hell. And the uncommitted are flying about, and they're chasing a banner in the clouds. Okay, so there's clouds, so they can sometimes see the banner, sometimes they can. They're flying about chasing a banner. But they can never catch the banner. And the banner is symbolic of their hope. They can never catch it. They can never get what it is that they're after. Well, all the while that they're chasing the banner in the clouds, 
they're being chased around by these bugs that are like wasps and hornets and stuff. And they're constantly being bitten. And they have weeping sores, pussy, bloody sores all over their bodies from these bugs that have been biting them for an eternity or for a really long time now. It will be for an eternity eventually. And the stuff that is dripping off of them, which is this weeping, pussy, bloody stuff from all their bites, is being consumed by maggots below them. It's a very nasty picture. And this is just the uncommitted. Now, the, the image that Dante is making is that this is not hell. Which means the rest of it's going to be way worse. Okay? But what they are experiencing is a hell that I would never want to experience. So I think maybe actually Dante's Inferno maybe had ten layers of hell. And the vestibule was sort of the first one, if you will. And it was the uncommitted. Also amongst them, by the way, were supposedly the angels who did not take a side in the rebellion against God. So basically, the uncommitted are those people who don't stand up. They don't say, I'm for God or against God. They don't make a decision, if you will. They intentionally don't make a decision, which is a decision, right? But they intentionally don't make a decision on which side they are on, good or evil, if you want to say it that way. And that is their just desserts, as handed to them by a just God. A horrible picture. As they chase their hope, which is flitting in and about the clouds. They can see it sometimes and sometimes not. Always rapidly. I mean, they're flying fast in the clouds, but it's always outside their reach. All the while being devoured, bitten, and infected. And then their infection being eaten up by those maggots, crowd of maggots below them. A horrible, horrible picture of what happens to the uncommitted. Now, what's interesting is in Jesus' life, we can very easily see an example of what we're talking about. And, I, and so the best way to learn about how to handle hope, if you will, is to look at Jesus' example. So there is a man, John the Baptist, who's in trouble, right? He's in jail. And he's begun to question, lose hope, if you will, that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus answered those who bring his concerns to, to Jesus in Luke 7. We're not, this is not the text of the day, so don't get super excited yet, although the Bible's all good, right? But he answers and says, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Now what he's done there is quoting, he's quoting some verses, some prophecies about Jesus from Isaiah. Isaiah had lived 700 years before um, and lived in Jerusalem uh, under, the, under the tender ministries of a couple of kings. And he had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah many times. And these are prophecies thereof. And so when John would hear those prophecies, you and I might think, because John would know the prophecies, that his hope in Jesus would be bolstered. From Isaiah 35 or Isaiah 60, uh, 61, you can go and actually read that those would be the activities that Jesus would be involved in. But notice the admonition of Jesus at the end there. He says, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. I want you to kind of just hold on to that saying as we go and look at the logic for our, uh, what it is that dashes our hope. Right here it says, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me, which was his instruction to John after quoting those two prophecies about himself, right? Okay, now, if you're following along in your Bibles, and I threw those at you kind of quick, and you've got this up on the screen, turn with me to Jeremiah 18. Amen! This is God's word, and this is the moment at which if you will just allow yourself the freedom of being affected by God's Holy Spirit, 
You'll learn the teachings of God, grow and change. Not my word, but his word. Okay? Jeremiah 18, beginning in verse 1. This is the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Okay, so we'll stop there for a second. If you've never seen this first person, you can look it up on YouTube or whatever. But basically, they have, they've got a wheel, and usually they push a little pedal on the bottom, and the wheel spins around. They put this slab of clay, which might start as just like a blob, and they get it wet, and they get their hands wet, and as the wheel spins, they sort of push and mold it into the shape that they want. If they put their hand down inside it like this, it becomes hollow from the top, like a vase or a, you know, a cup or a bowl or whatever. Um, and then uh, they can groove it on the outside really easy. They can use their fingertips or a tool. And they can groove it and shape it however. They can make anything that's as big as the wheel or as small as a shot glass, right, on this wheel. And as they turn it around and apply water, it softens the clay and becomes malleable. And then they shape it. That's a very physical job. You may not realize that, but most people who do this job, they, they build muscles in their arms and their core and their legs, which is pretty much everywhere, right? Because it's a very physical job to do this every day. And then they, they would probably sell their proceeds as they make the pots. They would sell them or they would maybe give them to family members or whatever if they didn't sell them to them. But it's, it could be their living. God sends Jeremiah to the place of the potter. And this is what he sees. He sees the potter making a vessel and then all of a sudden it's spoiled. Now, I've had first-hand experience with this. When I was in art class in high school, we did this very thing. And I decided to make a fairly ornate pot. And it was about like, it was going to be a vase for my mother, uh, mainly because about four and a half years before, my brother had made a vase for my mother, and I wanted to do better than he did. And so I started making it. And, it, and as you raise up the, you have to kind of just take your hands. If you want it to be taller than what the original mound of clay was, you can use squish like this, right? And, and, it, and the clay is forced up higher. But then you want it to be hollow, because the vase isn't solid on the top, right? It's got a hole, so you can put flowers in it. So you put your hand down in the middle, and that forces the clay out. Well, that forces the clay out, then it gets fatter and shorter and squatter again. Then you push it together as it's spinning around. You push it in, and you push it down. And you push it in, and you push it down. And eventually, what happened to me anyway, you push it in, you push it down, and I push it down, and the thing kind of went boom, over to the side. Now it doesn't look like a vase at all, except like maybe a melted vase, right? Like, oh, crap. Put it all back together and do it again. Eventually, I was able to get it to stand up at the height that I wanted, at the density and thickness and all that, and it became a vase, or sort of. All right? So I know what he's talking about. When the wheel spins, you're molding the clay, and the clay, for whatever reason, just collapses. All right? And this is what happened to the potter. Now, he could have stopped there and just said, oh, this clay is a waste, right? Psst, chuck it. But actually it isn't. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing different about where it started. It just takes the very same thing to make it into a vase that it took the first time. It just takes more of the very same thing to make it into a vase, right? Because now it's a bluff. And then you turn it from a bluff to a vase, you got to start over. You put it back into a blob and start stretching it out again, the whole nine yards. So he decides to do that. And he remade it into another vessel. And, it's, and this phrase is important. As it pleased the potter to make. Meaning the potter made the clay to look like what he wanted the clay to look like. Then verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is our inspirational moment, if you will, Jeremiah has gone there to hear from God and now God is going to tell him what he's gone there to hear. Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? So what is the plea of God? 
God is saying, can I not make you, O house of Israel, the people that make up the house of Israel, can I not make you into what I want to make you? And can I, can I not, when you start to crash or crumble or not look like what I want you to, can I not build you up and make you into what I want you to be? If I, if you're one thing, couldn't I make you another thing? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Meaning what? Meaning the potter shapes the clay. So God shapes the clay. God sets the, the pathway. God sets the outcome. God determines the will, if you will, as we talked about last week, the will of the Lord, or two weeks ago. Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Okay? So there's always been a little bit of a friction in the Bible. If God's never changing, then why does God ever change his mind? Right? So you think about the time when God decided he was going to destroy the Israelites and Moses throws himself down and says, no, no, destroy me, not them. Right? And God relents and doesn't destroy them. So why does God change his mind? If God knows that Moses is going to throw himself down and beg God to not destroy Israel, then why commit to, or why say he's going to destroy Israel in the first place? There's always a little bit of friction in that. God's clearing that up right here. He says, if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. So God says, I'm going to recompense people according to who or what they are and then if I say I'm going to recompense them and they repent and turn and become what they're supposed to be, then I don't have to recompense them. Right? I don't have to punish them. I don't have to destroy their nation or, or break it down to build it back up because it worked out. Verse 9, he says, Or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. In other words, to make it solid. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So in other words, if he says, I'm going to do good for you, I'm going to favor you, I'm going to bless you. I'm talking about nations here. If I says he's going to do that, and then the nation drifts or fades away and does not become what it is that God wanted it to become, they're not following God's will, then God doesn't have to send the blessings that he said he was going to send. Right? So now then, Speak to the men of Judah. Okay, I want you to see something here. There's a slight transition happening, isn't there? So he's talking about the nation of Israel. And now he says, speak to the men of Judah. And against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, now we're drilling it down just down to one city, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way. And now how far down have we drilled it? To each person, right? So just like we talked about during the inspirational moment, how each day is composed of a series of choices, each body, each city, each nation is composed of a series of people. And so he first says, speak to Judah, Jerusalem, individuals. Okay? So you can say whatever you want, like, well, our, you know, we live in a Christian country, but some people are Christian, some people are not. The truth is, if we don't live in a Christian nation where everyone's a Christian, we don't live in a Christian country, right? If you say, well, I most time live like a Christian and everybody thinks I'm a Christian because most time I live like a Christian, so I must be a Christian, that doesn't make you a Christian, right? That doesn't make you a follower of Jesus because you most of the time live like you think Jesus would want you to live, 
right? It's a series of choices. If you make a wrong choice and it does not honor God, then they're recompensed for that, right? That's what God said. And what do you do? Will you repent and turn back to God? You might actually avoid some of the judgment that God was going to send because you were not following God, right? That's what he said. And since it applies to Judah, all of Israel, then Judah, then Jerusalem, and down to the individual, we now know that these standards are meet for us. Oh, turn back, each of you from his evil way, and reform your ways and your deeds. So in other words, don't do what you're not supposed to do. Become the kind of person that does what you're supposed to do. It's pretty simple. Verse 12. But they will say, listen, but they will say, it's hopeless. In other words, there is no hope, right? So God has just offered them literally a definition of hope. This is how you can have hope. Do what it is that the Lord would have you to do. When you realize you're not doing it, repent and do it, right? Don't do it is what, don't do what he doesn't want you to do. When you realize when you're doing what he doesn't want you to do, repent, stop doing it, right? Just follow God and his methods. And he offers them that hope. And then they say, but it's hopeless. So they've lost their hope. They have no hope. This phrase literally in Hebrew means there is no hope. It's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Now, it'd be real easy to say, well, our nation is toast because that guy over there is not going to do it anyway. Right? So, the United States of America called a Christian country, but because we have bad people in Congress or bad people on the streets or bad people in the suburbs or whatever, because we have some bad people, that it's not going to work. But you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Right? Remember, it drills down from nation down to individual. Even if you would say they're only talking about how, well, I might do what God wants me to do, but I know Joe isn't going to do what God wants him to do. Right? And so because I know that, I know I'm still out of luck, right? There is no hope. Even if you wanted to do that, you would be in contrast to the progression of the scripture where he's saying, you have to answer for you, right? He drilled it down. He said, say unto each man, each one of you turn back from your evil way and reform your ways and your deeds, okay? And so... At, in response to that, you have to. And then if you go, well, somebody else is not going, so I'm not going to bother doing it, you're culpable. You have recompense coming to you, according to what God was saying to Jeremiah. All right, so first of all, there's three things here, and then we're not quite done, because we're going to go back and see kind of from Jesus' life what happens. All right. First of all, there, God will recompense. God is just. So if you do wrong, God will send you the fruits of your labor. He is not mocked. You shall reap what you sow. Right Now, at the same time, built into that is the reason God sends the recompense for what you're doing is because he wants you to stop, right? So, for example, you have people, somebody murders somebody, and they go to jail, and they get a life sentence, and they live out their life in jail, and they don't murder anybody else in jail, but they're still getting the recompense for the person they murdered because they've been in jail the whole time. They've got a roof over their head, they get to eat, they got to live with some pretty... Rough people, maybe, whatever. They're stuck on a certain schedule. They lose a lot of freedom. They don't get to vote. They don't own a car. You know, they've lost a lot of things. But the truth is, that recompense, which stretches out for a relatively long time, is pretty mild because they killed somebody. Now, uh, in some states, the death penalty is still on the table. You kill somebody, murder one, you can be, go to the electric chair or get a needle in your arm or gas chamber or hung or whatever. 
God says, I will send recompense to those who are unjust. If you do wrong, there's going to be recompense. But the purpose of the recompense and the threat, if you will, that might not be quite the right word. Let's say promise. Promise of recompense is that you will turn from your wicked ways and turn back to God. The ultimate recompense for our sin is what? Hell. Right? That's the ultimate recompense. So because of the wages of sin is death, permanent, eternal separation from God, we go to hell, we stay there for an eternity. Right? That's the way it is. So God will recompense. But the purpose of recompense in this lifetime is that you may turn. His ultimate goal is that no one would go to hell. That everyone would go to heaven. So if you are walking in sin, not trusting God, then you need to turn and let God do what God wants to do. So don't intentionally rebel against God. All right? The first and foremost place that's important when it comes to eternal recompense is what? Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Savior. Right? So we have to accept the plan that God made for us, which is through Jesus. I am the way and the truth of life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me, saith Jesus, and I believe him 100%. If you don't want to accept Jesus as the way, then, frankly, you're screwed. That's it. You may hope for a while. Your hope may become have great endurance. It may get rubbery, stretchy. You may go, well, I really wanted to do this, but I can kind of settle for this and my hope is still good, right? But Jesus is the eternal hope. He is the way into heaven. There is a day at which you will die not having done many of the things you thought you might. I would almost guarantee you that if I went around this room, which we don't have time to do, we went around and we said, what are you right now where you thought you would be if we looked at a date 10 years ago? Say, 10 years ago, do you think you would be, would you think you would be in this job? Do you think you'd be doing this thing? Do you think you'd be doing this ministry? Do you think you'd be in this situation, your family or whatever? And some of that, you're going to go down the list and go, no, <laughs> I didn't plan on this. This is not where I planned to be, right? But you adjusted your hopes and people are constantly adjusting their hopes. But you cannot adjust your hopes outside Jesus because ultimately you're going to need Jesus. No Jesus, no eternal life with God in heaven, period. That's where it starts at. But it doesn't stop there because there's also the Lordship of Jesus, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you don't just accept Him as Savior, you accept Him as Lord. You have to live for Him. He who died for us, we now live for. And if you don't have Him as Lord, then you're still adjusting your hopes to exclude the plan that God has for you. And God will recompense. That's it. Do not intentionally rebel against God, was the warning, if you will. Then, out of that comes... His plans over our plans. The New Testament says it this way, work out your salvation. We'll see that before we're through. God has a plan. His plan for you is good. He doesn't have a plan to harm you. right? He wants good for you. But sometimes your hope, your dreams, your plans are going to be outside what's good. For you. It might even be like you, you like it. It's good. I'm going to enjoy this. And it's not sin, so I can do that. But you're missing the great plan, great opportunity that God has for you. You have to be concerned. You have to be sort of like trembling, if you will, as to whether or not this is in God's plan for me. Right? And if you just make the choice flippantly, and you don't even care, you may wind up numbered with the uncommitted. But if you make the choice going, yeah, I know what God wants for me, but I'm going to do what I want anyway, then you don't wind up with the uncommitted. You committed. Right? You made a choice not to do what God wanted you to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We submit then to the reshaping of God. The truth is, when I was running my own life, 
I, I became a flump, right? The wheel was spinning and the clay was turning up and I was starting to look like I was going to, I was a yuppie. Somebody, I had somebody call me a yuppie and I'm thinking, I'm a yuppie. <laughs> Young, upwardly mobile professional. I got this. I got a beautiful wife. Now, I, I would add subtext. We argued, fought all the time, etc. I said, well, I got a beautiful house. I would add subtext. I owed a lot of money. I would say, I got two cars. I would add loans on both. I got a good job. You know, I don't have to finish my college education. I got the job I want. I would add that job wasn't as good as it looked on paper and it brought a lot of stress and it was a restaurant job. So I was literally working around the clock. Like I would get off sometimes I'd get off at 2 a.m. and go back to work at 5 a.m. for a, a relatively meager salary that my family couldn't live on. But I'm like, yeah, I got it. It's good. I'm arriving. What I had become was a flump. And I wasn't ready. I hadn't even thought about the fact that God was going to shape me into something different. And I was literally rebelling against being shaped into something different. That's why I quit college. You know, I was literally rebelling. That's why I fought with my wife all the time, etc. I was rebelling against God making me into something that was going to glorify him. And then I started to think, I started to think, well, I wonder if, you know, it seems like every time I'm doing this myself, I keep making a mess of it. I wonder if there is something more. Or, I, you know, all this debt that's attached to all the good things that I have. Is that really the way you have to do it? So you're going to buy a house and you have to pay it off over 30 years and pay three times as much for the house as what you purchased it for? That's the reality of long-term loans, you know? And I thought, is that really the way everything has to go? And I started to look in God's direction. And I maybe moved from being a committed rebellious soul to being a little uncommitted. Now, if I'd have stayed there, that'd have been bad, right? That, that, that would not have turned out the way I wanted it to. Notice then in this text, he calls them to his plan and their response is, it's hopeless. They will not shift to his plan. They will not accept the way that God is going to make and live for the Lord and, and let God lead their lives. And they know that. And so they say, it's hopeless. The truth is, for an unbeliever, a person who doesn't know Jesus, hope, at best, you get a tenuous grasp. The truth is, at best, you get a shifty understanding of what it actually is. You think about starting a business. You think about buying something that will make you happy. You think about having a relationship. You want a pretty girl or a pretty boy, right? You, you want a, a healthy existence, but you also want to eat a lot of chocolate cake and drink a lot of sodas. Right? So we get the shifty feeling of what hope is, and we've got a grip on it, and it doesn't burst. We haven't lost it. Right? The true losing of hope then would be at the moment at which either A, you realize that, hey, I'm making this in a way that's not going to work for me. This is not going to actually work out. And you go, where'd it go? It's gone. It burst. Or at the moment at which you come into God's presence and answer for what you did with your life, having rejected Jesus. And believe me, it's gone. Beyond that moment, there is no hope. We get a tenuous grasp and a shifting shape hope is what the picture that God has given us in Jeremiah is. All right? And if you're following along in your Bibles now, flip to Isaiah, if you would. And I do encourage you to do that. I know you probably read your Bible on your own like that, but you may find things, you may read around. I, I can't read, for example, the whole chapter 52 of Isaiah uh, so I'm going to read 52, 13, now I probably could, but we, it would make us take a lot longer to get to what we're getting at. But 52, I'm going to read 13 to 15. And you might read a little before or a little after. And you might 
have a different, slightly different translation or whatever. Okay? So this is what it says. Now remember, Isaiah prophesied a lot about Jesus, and this is a prophecy about Jesus too. It says in verse 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Now do you hear the subtle intonations of the way this will be accomplished? He will sprinkle many nations. He will be marred. His appearance will be marred more than any man. The subtle intonations of the destruction, if you are the crushing of Jesus. But truly, this is a great prophecy about Jesus. This sounds really good. Behold, my servant will prosper. He's going to do well. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Now, it depends on what you mean by high and lifted up. And how he gets exalted may not be all that great. But if, if you just took him in simple human terms, he'll be high and lifted up. People will think he's awesome. And he'll be greatly exalted. People will be talking about him everywhere. Right? But if you realize that high and lifted up can mean crucified and exalted can mean truly glorified beyond death, then there's more meaning there. Just as many were astonished at you, my people. So in other words, a lot of people looked at the Israelites and thought, wow, God has really blessed them, pulled them out of Egypt, crushed the Egyptians, brought them into the promised land, crushed all opposition and gave them the vast majority of the promised land. But then so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. That doesn't sound very good. And he will sprinkle many nations. So that, that could be a good thing, but sprinkle with what? The king will shut their mouths on accounts of him. Well, that sounds good. They're going to shut up and, and listen to what's true about Jesus. For what had not been told them, they will see. Ah, They're going to be invited into the secrets of God, the important things of God. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And then flip to Philippians 2, where we get a New Testament Paul account of the same thing we just read. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Paul describes it this way, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in, in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on them the name which is above every name. And that is the name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but as I look at this, I'm awful glad that Jesus, hope, was not dashed. It was not broken. It was not lost. Though he went to the cross, was crucified, though he was whipped, scourged near to death, though they crammed a crown of thorns down on his head, his hope was not dashed. I'm going to say to you that if your hope is open a new business, you go through a scourging and a crucifixion on the cross, your hope is going to be dashed. If your hope is seeing your children graduate from high school and then you go through a scourging and get crucified unto death, your hope is going to be dashed. If your hope is becoming wealthy, financially successful, 
or to be looked to as an authority by a lot of people and a lot of people looking to you and you can tell them what they need to know, if that is your hope, then you go through scourging and crucifixion, crucifixion unto death, your hope is going to be dashed. The truth is, when we think about what the knife is, there's an, seems like on the surface there's an awful lot of things that the knife could be to dash hopes, to take away from us that dream, even though we've allowed it to be a little bit malleable, we'll wait for our ship to come in. It didn't come in last time, it didn't come in the, the time after that, or the time before that, or the time before that, but we'll wait for it to all work out because, because we have hope, enduring hope. But it seems like there's a lot of things. I mean, what if you lost your spouse? What if you lost your kids? What if your whole family died? What if your job went away and then you couldn't get another one and then your house or your apartment was taken from you? And what if you couldn't play video games? What if you lost your sight? Right? There's a lot of things that could dash your hope. Except that's not actually it, is it? What would actually dash your hope is if you're going after something that's outside God's will for you. That's the only thing. And that's hopeless. If you find something that you want and you make that your focus, whether it's because it's in your flesh or because something you saw that looked good or because something you liked after you got it and you want more of it, whatever. If you find something that is outside God's will for you and make that your hope, what you actually have is nothing at all. And that's what you'll discover you have when you are required, like everyone else, to bend your knee and confess the name of the Lord Jesus. They knew they had no hope. Well, at least they were wiser than most of the world today, right? That hopes in this or hopes in that. But the Israelites knew that if their hope was in repenting and turning to God, that actually they had no hope at all because they weren't planning on repenting and turning to God. What about you? Are you planning on repenting and turning to God the next time you screw up? Or if you're where you're at right now, if you've been hoping in something other than God's will for your life, are you, should you repent right now? Are you willing to repent right now? If so, then God will turn back his recompense and unleash blessings such as he sees fit. Now, sometimes those blessings may not look like what you want them to look like, and you may not even like them very much as you're going through them. That's the way it was with Jesus, with the crown of thorns, the scourging, the whipping, the mocking. He didn't enjoy that. Jesus wasn't a masochist. Right? He didn't enjoy those things, but for the hope that was set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured. If you don't want to have your hope ultimately, eternally, and completely busted and gone, you cannot be uncommitted. You must choose a side. And the side you must choose is the side of Jesus, Creator, Author, and Lord. I submit to you then, maybe the truth is, for those whose hopes are dashed permanently, they dash them themselves. They wield the tool of unrepentance themselves to dash their own hopes permanently. The last verses we'll read today come from Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, fairly much toward the beginning. And they come in verses 13 to 15, Matthew 5, 13 to 15, and they say this. Jesus said, you, and he was talking to those who would trust in him, those who would follow his way, those who would have hope in Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? And, it, and it's a rhetorical question of a sort because it seems like there is no way. But there actually is a way. According to what we read in Jeremiah 18, there actually is a way, right? What is the way? Repent and turn unto the Lord. Commit yourself to God. Where would you get your saltiness from in the first place? Get it from God again. Repent and turn to the Lord. And do not face His recompense, but rather submit yourself to His will for your life. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? By the same miracle by which it was made salty in the first place. He says that it's good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That is a place of hopelessness. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand and give, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. And I would add this, although Jesus didn't, and so I probably shouldn't, but I will. From whom your hope comes. Where does your hope come from? Does it come from your bank account? Does it come from your retirement fund? Does it come from your spouse? Does it come from your children? Does it come from your job? Does it come from the sunshine? Does it come from a gentle breeze on a hot day? Does it come from your favorite foods? Does it come from... No, it doesn't. Hear me now. You want a hope that lasts? You want a hope that's eternal? You want a hope that cannot be burst? That can never go away? It doesn't fade or shrink. It doesn't get stretchy and resist a little better. It is a hope eternal. And it comes through obedience and love of Jesus Christ. What is the knife? The knife is an unwillingness to repent and turn to the Lord. Hear me. God will recompense your wicked behavior. God will not reward your wicked behavior. God will judge all men in the long run. And you will be asked, what did you do? with your life? What choices did you make? You were told you were supposed to repent and turn to me. You were supposed to submit and follow me. You were given eternal life through Jesus Christ into your hands. All you had to do was receive it, take it, accept it, and live it. And instead of that, you said, in the face of a Jesus who would be Lord, I'm sorry, I've got to do it my own way. And if you say to God, I'm sorry, I've got to do it my own way now. Then God will say to you, go ahead. Now and then. We will bow before him. And there will be those who say, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. And he says, get away from me. I never knew you. Let me encourage you today. Our hope is in Jesus. Our lasting hope is in Jesus. And the knife that destroys all hope, that bursts it all and turns it into a flump, that knife, that knife is an unwillingness to repent and commit yourself to His Lordship. 
And nothing you ever tasted, nothing you've ever seen, nothing you've ever experienced that will fulfill long term. Nothing. Doesn't matter how good it is, how much you enjoy it, or how good you get at it. Eventually, it will encounter the knife. Jesus, on the other hand, if you make your life about the things that Jesus wants them to be about, your days about the things that Jesus wants those days to be about, then it will last. And your heart will eventually stop beating. Your brain will stop waving. That is, if Jesus doesn't come again first. And then you'll be transported immediately into his presence where the chocolate cake is free. Where the days are not full of pain and sorrow or struggles or muscles that ache or tear when they should be strong. Where relationships are peace and love and harmony and you don't have to press your will on anybody else and nobody's pressing their will upon you. That's hope. And we have it. It's available. Take it. Relish it. Enjoy it. And therein find a life more abundant. Let me pray for you and then we'll have a Song of invitation opportunity. Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. I hope that you've been blessed and joined us in reaching new heights in Jesus. If you have been blessed, would you consider praying that God will use this message and others like it for His glory, reaching into uh, the surrounding lost society and bringing people closer to God? Not, not that our words do it or that our efforts do it, but that God can get Himself the glory that He deserves. And if you can do it through us or through these messages, then so be it. If you'd like to give, you can text GIVE to 419-419-0095. And that's 419-419-0095. And you text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E. And that will allow you to uh, give via your credit or debit card once you're set up. You can also give on the church website at churchtoledo.com. Go to the donations page. There's also some uh, interesting things on there on the Fogmoonbook.com and also under Fogmoonbook.com and under the store on the website. Um, I'd ask you, would you please like and follow this podcast? And having done so, please share it with literally everyone you possibly can. If, if you've been blessed today, even by this one message, we just ask you to share this message via social media, ship it out to your friends and others who may need to learn and grow. And we just pray that. Uh, this application recognizing what dashes hope will become useful to all those who listen. God bless you.